This is 680 CJOB. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Main Ingredient. Not many restaurants have been around for 50 years, but Santa Lucia, the winner of many Consumer Choice Awards, has been open that long. With all their ads that you hear on the radio and the donations they make to many worthy causes, you kind of forget how much the Simonitas family has put in for the restaurant to get there. Or do you even know? I spoke with Greg Simonitas, the owner of Santa Lucia on St. Mary's Road this week, and the story is so good, we literally talked for over two hours. So today, the interview is part one of how Santa Lucia Pizza began. So my parents came here in the 50s, my, my mom and my dad. My dad has a big family in Greece from a small village. So as the boys got old enough, each one, I guess, because my dad came he's in his like, mid-20s, he's, he's the oldest of six. But as they all got old enough to come to Canada, and back then there wasn't, it didn't matter if you were 16 or 12 or whatever, but let's say that when they turned 18 or so, they would be coming one at a time. And these guys are hardworking from a village, hands-on, basically farmers, right? Mm-hmm. No different small town here. But when they got here, my dad was an actual um, forester. He got a university degree, which was rare back then for people with university degrees to be coming because he had a job, right? It was usually the immigrants that didn't have work. They came here for the money. But my dad sent him here to save the rest of the children because in Greece, there was no work at that time. After World War II, like, I mean, never was suffering kind of thing, right? They heard about money in Canada. You just take it with the shovels off the streets, as they keep telling me. <laughs> it grows on trees, whatever, right? So my dad came first, and he couldn't get a job in his degree because back then, to work for the federal government, forestry department, you had to have five years. You had to be a citizen, sorry, and it took five years to become a Canadian citizen. Well, he had his newly, his, my mom, the newly wed couple, he couldn't wait five years to start a family, so he became a draftsman while here. He went and got a quick. My dad is a very intelligent man. He's still alive, by the way, at eighty-nine, which is uh, awesome. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Here, he actually didn't have English, and there's no ESL back then and stuff, right? You know, there's nothing like that. No internet, no nothing, no nothing to read about. He's had one little pocket dictionary that's a translator from Greek to English, and he had to get English to be able to go to Red River. To so he had to do English. So he went to grade twelve at uh, Daniel Mac and being without a single word of English, he had got the book award in English. He beat all the Canadian people. Seriously? Kind of really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Six great treasures, uh, Moby Dick and whatever's in that big book they gave him. It's pretty cool actually, right? As a kid, but no, he actually did. He's he, he, like, it's mind boggling. I didn't get away with much growing up with that man. Let's put it that way. No doubt. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, smart guy. But anyways, so I had nothing to do with the restaurant. That's just how it's, he came here as his brothers came one at a time there. He was the smaller, like not, like he's not a tank. The brothers are basically built like tanks. They would win strong. <laughs> so what happened? Yeah, because they were, he went to school and they all had to work to get him through school, university, and that you know it's very expensive. Oh, uh, so he's so pushing they, a pen while they're actually physically working. Right, right. So what happened is when he got here, that's why he felt indebted, and the dad sent him here to get him a better life. So as they came, these guys, being who they were, Simonton Yard, they built like part of that because they're putting down tracks. These guys are perfect for that. Any kind of labor jobs, you know, they were doing stuff like. You know, logging, because that's what they were back in Greek. Their foresters, most of them, that's most of what they did. Uh, they did logging here. They did the train tracks for a few years. Um, then they went off to Inco because the mines started paying really well in the late 60s or mid-60s, whatever it was. That's why they went there one at a time. And they made ridiculous money up there. Back then, it was booming, right? Okay, so what was the beginning of the restaurant, Santa Lucia? So my uncle's working underground, one of them. Well, they all were working underground. And he was working with a couple of Italian guys. And the Italian guys had a small pizzeria. I don't know what the name of it was, to be honest with you, because he's not alive anymore and nobody really knows. It probably was a sound chair before, but I can't confirm that 100%. So you asked where the name came from? Yeah. I know he 
Korea from the two brothers. They were working in the mine with my uncle, and they said, George, because it's my uncle George that's on the pizza boxes that started the company. Oh, nice. He said, he says, uh, you know what? We're going back home, whichever, wherever that was, somewhere on the East Coast. Why don't you buy the pizzeria from us? You know, like, and my uncle's like, pizzeria? Like, what do I know about that? But anyways, he somehow, they talked to him until it was dirt cheap. They just basically took over. I'm sure it was just a few hundred bucks and, you know, they kind of took over and whatever. So my aunties who were working, by then there was another brother here, uh, my uncle Archie and man Helen and my uncle George's wife, the two women who were working in laundromat in Thompson and cleaning theaters at nighttime and doing whatever they had to do to sort of start their families. But the, the men were working in the mines as much overtime as they can. Well, when they got the pizzeria, of course, the first thing that happens when they went to eat the pizza, it was paper thin. All the pizzas in Canada, or actually Manitoba back then, were thin. So I think Tubby's might have had a bit of a thick crust that was now the Grove on uh, Bafford there, you know. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't many. And so in Thompson, being big miners and being Greek, we like bread. We'll, we'll have a side of toast with our sandwiches. Like, we're, <laughs> we're messed up that way. Like, like, the Chinese with the bread. Whatever. Like, we just love it, right? So the bread. So when my uncle took over in Miami, Mark was like, what is this? Like, I got to eat like three pizzas to get four. These guys can eat, right? So they decided to make it like thicker. And of course, when you make the pizza thicker, you have to put way more toppings on. The pizza was probably three or four times as hearty as the pizza they took over from, right? Yeah. It became fusion. The reason Greek sauce, Stalchia sauce is so good, it's a fusion between Italian and Greek. We have a little more Mediterranean, like Greece, a little more towards the east, right? So I wouldn't say it's spicy, but it's a little more... Like, it's like meaty, it's got a bit, bit more flavor, a bit more tang to it. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Where Italians, it's just, you know, it's pretty easy. Some basil and some just tomatoes, basically, right? So ours, that's where we had advantage of the flavor, which at first wasn't an advantage. People found it too strong. People in the 70s, by the time we get to Winnipeg, it's 70s, whatever, they don't really know about pizza. People are asking questions. I remember as a kid growing up, and, you know, I'm in the business as a little kid, vacuuming, doing whatever I'm doing. And people, oh, when you eat pizza, you can't drink with milk, you'll get sick, or you have to have this, or you have to do that. Pizza was pretty new, right, back then. They really didn't know much about it. Like, I remember when ham and pineapple came, everybody was like, you don't put pineapples on pizza, the big argument, right? <laughs> Still is. And we brought anchovies to the city. Nobody had anchovies on their pizzas. Like, that goes back. I remember there was a pilot that used to come visit us, and he used to get anchovies somewhere. So this is our Waterloo. The first location was at Waterloo and Cordon in 74 in Winnipeg. And one of the pilots, he, he, he had a job of going down California all the time on the coast. And uh, he worked for Canada. And I remember he wanted these anchovies. And we're Greek. And we're like, well, no one's going to eat the fish here. We're in the middle of Manitoba. There's like, back then, there was very, like, we didn't eat fish like we eat today. Now, now everybody knows it's healthy. We eat a lot of it, right? Yeah. Back then, pretty rare. And um, so he would bring his own cans of anchovy. We put it on for him. To the point where finally, like, we just started ordering some for the guy. Because it's like, okay, he'd come in every time he's in town for once a week or whatever. So stuff like that. I mean, like, you know, you go back. There's so much that's happened over the years. Greek salads is a perfect example. Nobody knew what a Greek salad was. So my mom would make a Greek salad and people didn't want it. They didn't know what it was, right? It was like feta cheese with stinky socks. Like, it was true. And it's funny. She was, so, we, so we were at the restaurant one day and I remember Italian dressing they were okay with. Again, because it's more mellow, right? Mm-hmm. It's more vinegary. cases, more along the normal kind of Canadian palate, let's say. And uh, Or there's just more Italians here. That, so they, see, I think the bottom line of all these things, and I can use a euro as an example. Greeks introduced the euro to Winnipeg. We don't have Lebanese or Middle Eastern people here to call it Donair. There's not much difference in a doner and a euro besides the sauce. A little oh, yeah. bit different. You know, yeah. sauce, piki sauce. Very similar. So on the coast where there was more of them, it's called the doner. Here, so it just depends, I think, on who the people are in the city that sort of evolves our palate, let's call it, or whatever, right? All these immigrants bring their 
like right now it's happening with whatever cultures, African or whatever they are, right? There's so many things changing. But getting back to the whole uh, pizza thing, when my uncle made it thicker, the, he, it, it sold like crazy because all the miners got their money's worth. He didn't charge a lot more for it. He just, back then, food was cheap. It wasn't like today where cheese is expensive. Cheese was dirt cheap. Meats were dirt cheap. But what, it was totally different, right? So they were making these pizzas that were so filling for people that they took over the whole town. And they got so successful, they basically, and you got to remember, these guys came here to make money. They weren't coming here to be immigrants, like to uh, residents forever. They were going to go back home and take care of their dad and everybody. So they just came here supposedly for five years to make money. Was that the intent? Been, really? Like they, that was yeah. their intent to go back? Absolutely. They were in Germany for a few years, did that. They just, wherever, they're trying to support their families that live in that village, right? There's no work in that village besides some um, some crops they grow. But I mean, there's really nothing there. So they'd send out people to send money home, like kind of thing. So half their money would always go home, right? So their intent was when they had enough money, they'd go home. But they didn't realize as their kids grew up and they started going to school and they made their own friends, things changed, right? <laughs> but So that's a different story. But getting into that, their intent was to go back. Um, when my uncle George, I mean, he made a lot of money there in Thompson in this couple of years. He had enough, like considered today, like a millionaire, I would guess. Wow. They, they were good. Like they packed their bags, went back to Greece. But the problem is in Greece, Everybody's waiting for their handouts. And uh, of course, they bought Mercedes and furs and started living this lifestyle in Greece where they're villagers. Like they shouldn't be doing this stuff, but they're just so happy and proud of how well they did, right? So when things started going, like started spending their money and they were realizing they were going to run out, they contacted my dad and they were like, you know what? We're going to come back. We're going to get some more money. And my dad was like, well, the mines aren't doing good now because the mines were shutting down, right? So that was about 74 around this time. And he says, well, why don't we try in Winnipeg? And my uncle's like, yeah, bigger city. We can have more stores. Let's try it. So they went to Waterloo and Corden as the first location in 74. But it was a challenge because, um, again, pizza being so new, we didn't have the uh, miners that were hungry. It was a bigger market. Uh, people, when they try our pizza in Winnipeg, they're like so upset how thick it was. They're like, if we wanted a sandwich, we'd order a sandwich. <laughs> <if we wanted." laughs> it's totally the opposite. <laughs> so started, we toned it down to about half the size of so it's about half the thickness that it was in Thompson, let's say, but it's still thicker than most in Winnipeg. So it was a considered, I'd call it a medium crust, but in reality, it was a thick crust compared to whatever that was here. My mom and my aunt Helen, which were like two of the main people of the recipes, um, that's another brother that they basically run half the stores here. They, they have the Main Street store, the Saskatoon, uh, sorry, the Henderson store, and the uh, Steinbeck store, my cousins. So we're all family, right, that run these stores. But um, what happened was River Heights at that time was pretty nice. Like, it's still nice, but I mean, it was even, there was less, there's way more nicer homes now because they keep building our city, right? But if you go back in the 70s, River Heights Tuxedo was probably the best places you could live, right? Right. And and so there was a lot of educated, be it doctors, be it like professors, whatever they were, they were really intrigued by the Greek foods. So my parents, my auntie, my mom, they'd make them trays of Greek foods, like be it stuffed peppers or whatever it was, like just stuff that and go to university all the time. And so they would bring their friends to try new things, just like we do now. The young people love Asian food or whatever it is, Thai food, you know what I mean? So to them, it was quite an experience, never mind the pizza, this other stuff. And that's kind of what got us going because pizza wasn't a big seller. Pizza was way down the list. Right now, it's number one food in North America, but it used to be burgers and it used to be other stuff. And pizza was probably like number eight or nine back then, right? Like way down at the bottom. So they didn't really survive on the pizza. They were more surviving on the full menu and they added more stuff. They started adding pastas. They started adding... You know, back then they tried everything. There's so much stuff on our menu that doesn't exist today, but they did what they could. And as the brothers uh, finished in the mines, because some of them, sorry, they didn't think of this part. When Uncle George took over the restaurant there, he quit the mines, right? But mm -hmm. a couple of brothers were working in the mines. 
And Inco was really good back then. If you did five years, they gave you a five grand bonus. If you did 10 years, you got a 10 grand bonus. That's big money in the 70s, right? Totally. The car only cost five, six grand to buy a car back then, right? So one of Malcos was on his, you know, like fourth year. The other guy was like on his eighth year or something as they came at different times. But um, they had already opened the one store here. And then my other uncle had come. And so it was time to do a second store because three brothers couldn't make a living out of that one store. And they realized they had enough business to sort of make a living because they worked inside. They didn't pay a lot of wages. The families worked. We all worked inside it. They opened at Main Street at Inkster there in 75, the year after. And they opened, and then the cup, that was a bigger store. So a couple of the brothers worked out of there while one still worked out of Corden. In 77, the other last brother finally got here from the mine, the fourth guy. One, is, came, one guy came from Greece. He lasted about three months in the winter and said, you guys are crazy. Went back and never showed his face here. <laughs> I can't blame him. Spent <laughs> this whole day on my, I remember my parents' house under the blanket. He wouldn't even leave. They, they were going to work. You guys go. I'm not going out there. I remember that as a kid. Pretty funny. But, uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so before that we're here anyways. The last guy, funny, comes from Thompson in 77, and that's only by that uh, St. Mary's and Marion store. And that's how it stayed for a long time. These guys ran these stores just to support us. We were kids. You know, I was, I guess, about when it started for me. My other cousins were born, like, right into the restaurant business, a lot of them, because I'm one of the older cousins in my generation. And uh, I guess we all grew up doing this. And at the end of the day, our parents didn't want us doing this because when they came from Greece, anybody with any kind of success wears a white collar and has an easy life there and gets paid really well, right? Right, right. White collar, you don't get paid any more than the blue collar. It's the same thing. Unions are just as strong no matter who you are. Like there's, there is a little more in the white collar, but really, you whatever. There was no advantage. But they sent us to school. They figured they'll do that. So I tried doing other jobs for a while, according to like like I got an engineering degree, electrical engineer is what I am actually supposed to be. <laughs> but I didn't like that. Did that for a couple of years and found out you have to wake up in the morning and there's no you gotta I don't know what to do when you want to eat. You gotta go find it. You can't leave. You gotta do certain <laughs> work. What? <laughs> Totally crazy compared to what I grew up with. So I'm just being silly. But uh, I, I didn't really like it, to be honest with you. And so I went back to the business. My sister came back. And um, by that time, it was the 80s, right? Like we're talking uh, 90s, actually. Late 80s, early 90s. The business had fallen apart. In the 70s, we were ruling. We were lined up down the street. Like it was insane how busy my parents got these stores, like in the 70s. Mm -hmm. But in the 80s, along came um, Pepsi-Cola got into uh, restaurant business. They thought. You know, if they own the restaurants, they, Coke won't be able to take over them. They'll be selling Pepsi. They'll have the market in those chains. So they bought Pizza uh, Pizza Hut. They bought KFC. They bought Taco Bell, California Pizza Kitchen. They started buying all these companies so that they could guarantee there would be no switching between their products. I right? didn't know that. Wow. Oh, that's 80s. So what happens is at that point, a lot of marketing money comes into all the cities. But Winnipeg, which is a small farm town, let's call it at the time, still is kind of right has this massive marketing campaigns going on from these American companies that we can't really compete with. McDonald's adds pizza to their menu back then. We loved that because it trained kids that pizza was as good as burgers. That was the best thing ever. Ninja Turtles, another great one. Their thing they went to was pizza, right? Yes. So we had some 80s that were helping us, but as a overall, we were getting our butts kicked by these American companies and uh, we didn't fight back. My parents were done. Their kids were in school, graduating. Uh, most of the company was basically bailing, going to go back to Greece. They didn't want to have their kids grow up here and be druggies and whatever because they figured in Greece it was different, which it wasn't. They were just away from Greece so long. They remember the old Greece, like the <laughs> things change everywhere in the world, right? Totally. But I guess they figured it was a better upbringing for their kids to go back to their country. So they didn't really care in the 80s. We sold most of the stores off to other people, friends, whatever. 
I remember my parents, I'm about uh, 15, 16 at the time. And my parents pull us aside and they say, you know what? All my, all the family's going back to Greece. We want to go back to Greece. And uh, my sister was uh, an adult now, right? She was like 19. And she looked him right in the face and she goes, hey, she goes, you go where you guys got to go. She goes, I'm Canadian. I'm not going nowhere. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm a little kid. Like I could, get, like we still get slapped around being Greek kids, right? So I was like, I'm at that age. But, but I'm just like, oh, I'm with her. Like, you know, that's all good. So my family is the only one that stayed. The rest all take off to Greece. St. Mary's is the only store that stays under a Simeonidis brand, let's call it her name. The other stores get sold to friends of ours, be it they were carpenters over the years or other businesses, whatever, Greek people, you know. There was one Italian guy on, on, on Portage Avenue. Well, what happens is not only do we not own the restaurants anymore, the American brands come. All our suppliers come to us and say, you want to be competitive? Here's the new thing in the market. And they'd show us these big bags. They look like garbage bags, but blue see-through ones of toppings and stuff. And we're like, what is this? And they're like, oh, this is uh, beef topping, for example. And it's like kibbles and bits. It's like little pre-made little, like like the weirdest looking little cylinders that, and same with the bacon and all this stuff, right? So we're like, we, we tried. We're like, no, 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 this is no good. We can't eat this. It's all fake, right? Our owners did it because my dad didn't want to upset them. They spent money to buy the stores. We're all suffering. He didn't want to, he's not a pushy man, my dad. He didn't want to tell people what to do. So as a franchise, we didn't do very well in keeping our uh, products the same. So Silent Chia fell off the map, I'd say, late 80s, early 90s, as far as, you know, they knew. Go to St. Mary's. Most people knew you get a good product. Go to other locations, you don't know what you're going to get. So if you like the other products, locations better, you're not going to like St. Mary's, right? Because, I mean, we're selling different things, different tasting. Right, like every man for himself, right? Yeah, just trying to survive to get through that, right? So I see all this, and my parents came to me just before, I would say this about 92. Actually, it was 1992 because I had just gotten married. And uh, my dad pulled me aside and said, uh, we're selling the business because the store at St. Mary's, they own the property that was have, right? So they said, we're going to sell it and we're going to retire. And, um, you know, there's, there's no money in the business. It's kind of done, so it's going to sell the property. And I remember uh, <laughs> I looked at him. I said, what are you guys crazy? I said, like, we got the best pizza in the city. Like, when I make my pizza, like, nothing's better than that. Like, there's like, no, this ain't happening. And they're like, but you went to school. Like, you got a job. I was still working for Hydro at the time. And I was just like, no, no, I'm coming back weekends. And my dad was like, we got no money to pay you. Like, you can't come. I said, I'm not, I'm going to keep my day job, but I'm coming weekends and I'm going to see what I can do. And slowly it took time, but I'd say it took a year or two. My sister joined in the same way. She came back from her job. She was managing retail stores. She came back and uh, we started fixing up St. Mary's. Well, we went from like, you know, 12 orders on a weekday. We had 30, I think, on a weekend. It was kind of like a good day for us back then. One driver and a few tables. We'd pay some bills, let's say. Well, we're over 500 orders on a Friday now. We went from, like, if you do the comparison, like, of what it was then from, like, you know, six or eight people working in the store. I have 150 staff in that store on, well, not now a pandemic, but just before the pandemic in the summer. We're about 150 in St. Mary's store with patios. So you look at just that success, what we did, it was quite amazing. And I, I think it's due to we went back to what made us famous. We made our pizza proper. We made sure that every pizza went out proper. It wasn't people ready just to step away. It was a young energy comeback that wants to see success, like my parents wanted when they started. Right. But they were right. They were done. Anyways, the families came back that didn't work out in Greece. All the families came back and started buying back locations as they came back. Well, as they started coming back, because um, they realized Greece was no better than Canada as far as like raising their kids, and here was easier to make money, and we had a brand, and we had a 
I cleaned up St. Mary's and you got to remember St. Mary's never was sold. So it was always under our control. It was doing a better job than the other locations, let's say. So we basically just went back to what made us famous in the seventies and did some adjustments, obviously, because times changed a bit. Like I remember we added debit, like that was a big deal. I was the last company in Winnipeg that debit. I was like, that's hokey. You know, magic what? stuff like that was that, that was, and I, you know what? You're probably thinking, I can't believe I thought that to yourself. When debit came out, I thought, who would, who would debit, who would take money directly out of their bank account? Who would give someone access to do that? That's the dumbest idea ever. That's, that's literally yeah, I, what I thought when that came out. I agree. But I remember we got one debit machine. And now, as deliveries were coming out, we were probably doing about 100 orders at a time on a, on a Friday, let's say. Let's say five or 10 orders were debit. Well, now, if an order came out and it needed a debit machine, the debit machine was on the road with another guy. We had to wait for the debit machines. We had to stack. Okay, these are cash-only orders. These are like debit waiting, right? So it was a bit of a nightmare. And anyways, that all got straightened out. We uh, Today, it's like, I would say, well, now with the pandemic, it's probably 90%. No, even more. Well, I'd say 90% anyways, plastic. But debit is the the ruling one, believe it or not. I thought the credit card would be the number one. Almost anybody that grew up on our pizza, young or not, will buy our pizza, like if their parents were buying it. It takes other people a while to give it a try. But I think once they try it, we almost hook them because I don't know how often if you've had or eat our pizza, but no one makes it like that. There's so few independents like us. There's a few around, but I mean, they're hard to find. Most of the chains and stuff give you garbage and you don't get your money's worth. Yeah, you might get a deal, you're thinking, but you get way less than we give you for the money. So when you put it side by side, it's not a deal at all. But again, if you're going to be throwing half it in the garbage, well, I understand it. But, you know, I'm going to tell you something, but my industry has a major problem and boils down to the marketers when they came out with rules that mozzarella if you weren't using 100% fresh milk and it wasn't real you couldn't call it mozzarella the marketing companies came out with a brand called pizza mozzarella i mean it is mozzarella but it's modified meaning they use the old way again or they might use some kind of like um they'll spray it so it doesn't stick they'll all this people are paying for cheese but they're getting percentages of other stuff right right it's a shortcut product yeah but people don't know that right because they see pizza mozzarella uh, beef topping. If you look under the categories of ingredients, like at restaurants when you're picking their toppings, so if you look at sandwich, yeah, you'll see toppings, right? You see gourmet toppings, special toppings, whatever. But under them, they're listed. So you'll see beef, you'll see bacon, you'll see whatever. But other companies, under toppings, you'll see beef topping. The words are together. Sausage topping. Like they have to repeat those because it's not real sausage. It's sausage topping. Didn't know that. to That's good to know. Oh, yeah. yeah, but no one knows this. The industry is that good. That's what I'm saying. And I'm not going to be the one trying to educate them. How? I've been every time I say something to somebody, they don't believe me, right? But this is the truth. Look at a menu next time. And under the toppings category, go on anyone online, doesn't matter. And look look at the meats, look at the look at the cheese section, whatever it is. And if you see that word, like like there's no reason to say like you'll see, for example, salami won't say salami topping. It'll say salami, it'll say ham. But then for some of them, the ones that they can actually formulate and make the kibbles and bits, as I call it, <laughs> you'll see, like they say bacon crumble. Well, what's bacon crumble? What is it bacon crumble? Like it, what is it? Well, it sounds like it's just like some kind of um, bacon that they've crumbled and cooked or something. Right, right. right. Like they've yeah, but, they, like they've done it themselves. But, but bacon crumble is basically fat, salt, and color. Like so, it's all the leftover garbage that they have. And they season it and they cook it and they make it somehow. You know, spray it with whatever for colors, whatever they got to do, and they make it look like bacon, right? So it's bacon, but it's like it's like eating hot dogs, like when they're paying for something better. You know what I'm saying? So uh, everything's like that. And that's what the big companies use and they tried to get us to use, but we didn't. We were fortunate to stay with, we're not 100% perfect. I mean, we obviously some things you can't put on there, like just too expensive, right? So we're not going to cut 
yeah, for example, our beef is still going to be ground beef. But um, I guess what I'm trying to get at is we, we stayed away from all that. We got fortunate. And while we stayed away from this, the two-for-ones came out and the three-for-ones in the 80s there on top of the American companies. There were all these things that were going haywire for us. They were going crazy we didn't back th- then. They were going crazy. Oh. Two-for-one and three-for-one, huge in the 80s, man. It was insane. Remember Mr. Bones and everything? Four-for-one, it yes. was a gong show. Yes, it was. Ins- so, yes. So we didn't do well during that time, but we sort of just hung in there because it was a family business. It wasn't like we had to worry about, like their building was paid off, thank God, right? And they didn't have to worry about paying... Um, a lot of wages. There wasn't a lot of work. So it was just as long as they made enough to pay the bills, my parents, that was their daily routine. They didn't see it as it wasn't a moneymaker at the time, but they got through those years. And so when you say it's always been solid, it hasn't always been solid. So I was trying to get up. We've had a bad section in the middle, but the next generation, my generation, all my cousins, when they saw St. Mary's was starting to do better, I managed to convince my one cousin cause from the region store at the time, which doesn't exist right now, to join on the bandwagon and do what we're doing. And so we had two stores. We're now consistent in the city. His brother, Mike, at Main Street and Inkster joined in. So now three stores were doing the exact same product at the exact same prices, and it was the proper product, right? Right. So not the whole menu completely, but the pizzas were definitely on track and the pastas and the salads and stuff like that. Well, what happens is the guy on Portage, finally, we get rid of him because he's not making any money. He's gone. One of my drivers decides he wants to be in the business. So he becomes my partner. We take over the Portage store. So now that one's exactly the same as the, the other three. So now there's four of them. Same thing happens on Pemna. My uncle decides it's time to retire. I buy his store. I put one of my cooks in there. We're partners 50-50. He takes over. So now we have five the same. One of the stores was holding out going, no, you guys are crazy. You're going to not. We're going to do it my own way. He eventually bailed and we took that over. And so all of a sudden, the stores in Winnipeg are all the same, which was what changed us. That's probably late 90s by then already, early thousands, right? By the time we finally, maybe even mid thousands, like 2005 or whatever. By the time we finally got everybody on the same page, and we're we're doing well now, like as far as the stores have been doing it for a while, but we're still not super solid. Like we're just doing really well, making money finally, feeling like, wow, those 10 years were worth it. We see the fruit from all our labor, right? But what's happened since then, as we got more solid, we could advertise more, right? Because we were always advertising, but now we could advertise more. We actually start winning awards. We've had those for over 30 years because our product is good. So, I mean, that's like, I feel sorry for my competition. They didn't have my relatives. My parents gave me some secret weapon on the recipes that they just don't have the rest of the competition. I don't care what country, what city I go to, their pizza sucks compared to mine. And I know <laughs> it's so true. It's so weird. I get everybody telling me, and I don't get me wrong, there's other good pizzerias. A lot of independents make a good pie, right? But you go into big cities, you don't find the independents. Like all you see is the big chains, like dominating everything, right? Yeah. So the pizza suck. It's like you go there and you know, we ask always hotels. Well, who do you recommend? And but a lot of times you'll find from people, oh, this is our best pizza or that's our best pizza. And all I ever get is from everybody I ever know when they move to any city, oh man, you got to open a store here. We tried every pizza. There's no good ones. Like you just hear this all the time. I don't care where they go. Now, obviously we're not going to do that. I mean, we're a Winnipeg company slowly expanding in Saskatchewan. Now we've got three locations. We're slowly growing, but we're a family business. We're not a franchise that sells franchises. So this is why it's a weird company that's kind of, we could have had a hundred stores probably if we saw franchises, but we don't. We, we saw what happened in the 80s when we didn't control the company so well. And I don't think we have the backbone to take people to court to try and like force them to do things. We weren't raised that way. So it's kind of like by not expanding and fighting with people. <laughs> and it sounds funny because, yeah, we can make more money, but we do well. It doesn't, it doesn't sound funny. 
because it's easier just to do something right yourself than, than depending on other people to do it. And if they didn't, like you said, if they don't do it right, you're not going to sit there and, and, you know, you're not, you're not very combative and you don't want to force people to do things they don't want to do. You just rather just keep it in the family and do it right yourselves and expand slowly and properly, right? Right. Okay. So my parents and myself growing up, we work in the restaurant every day of our lives, right? Like there's no way around it. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you want to be successful at work. So I work every position. Like there's no, there's nothing I didn't do in the restaurant business. But then as I, got the second and third store with my partners, I had to go help those stores. And what happened was as I had to, I had to leave trust in somebody to manage my position while I was at a second location, right? As we're starting those stores. And then what happened was when it was time to go back, they said, if, if you come back, the guy we got here is going to lose hours. So I was like, okay, well, I'll go help at the other location. But before you know it, I worked myself out of a job. It was the weirdest thing. <laughs> I did. So that's what I decided. Okay, well, I remember reading somewhere in the 90s of something about if you work on your business instead of working in your business, you can actually make it grow. And I didn't know how true it was. Now, some people are like, yeah, yeah, whatever, buddy. What do you know, right? You're the guy that works making pizzas every day of your life. You don't know anything about like advertising and stuff. So I did a lot of work and I met a lot of people and it's really changed by me. While my cousins all kept working, doing a great job, it's a family effort. I mean, everybody's working hard. I got to sort of take the reins and direct the... um, the marketing campaign or whatever you want to call it. The, I do, I do legal, I do purchasing, I do all our contracts. I do, I have a couple assistants and that's what we do, right? We basically write our, we do our menus. We do our, uh, any advertising there is, um, you know, it's a lot of work actually, but we got so many things in our back pocket that we were going to put out there. Vegan menu was developed. We had vegan Manitoba people all over, like, Oh, we developed it with them. We did all this stuff. We were going to launch. Right. So it's not huge, but let's say it's three, four or 5% more business. Right. Mm-hmm. We Everything we did, there's so much stuff that we're putting out that was sort of like the only thing that I can say COVID did that was phenomenal. It really pushed our digital platform fast because we were working on online ordering. We didn't have that just like debit, one of the last companies to do everything. You know, so it was like they, they forced us, which was great. Uh, but overall, I guess what I'm trying to get at is it's been a crazy ride. And um, I've just been very fortunate that I was handed something that was phenomenal as far as the food goes. Like the Greek salad, I'll give you an example of Greek salad. Because I started talking about this earlier. My mom, we're at the restaurant one day and everybody's eating Italian salads because they don't do feta, this and that, whatever, right? And uh, we were selling a few. I shouldn't say we weren't selling any, but we didn't have a lot of sales in Greek salad, which right now we're probably the busiest Greek salad place in Winnipeg. And the nice thing about that is we're, we keep local, eh? So like, you know, Chiban, the ice cream store? Oh, dude, I love their ice cream. It's the best. Okay. So Joseph's a friend and with him, we developed the feta cheese that we use in our company. So like we are buying local from him now. He used to come out of Montreal. Because in Canada, this is how we got around this. So when we first started with Greek salads, we had to import feta cheese, right? So what are you talking about? The Lucas of the world, uh, Palettas, whatever there were, right? Mondo food. There was no feta in Safeway or whatever, the Canadian system. Right. So we bring it in, but it was too sharp. That stuff, by the time it gets here, it's dry, it's hard, it's sharp. It's just different, right? So they started, per- well, I guess they always had feta in Montreal, but these guys didn't want to give it to us. They wanted to make money off of the imports, right? But one of the people um, started importing product from montreal well it's made with cow milk here not goat milk right so now it's more manageable for people back then they didn't do goat cheese like they do now back then like they didn't even like feta never mind goat cheese right so well that's why they go strong so the feta from canada is made with cow milk that's the one that we've been using for decades and people love it because it's more of our palate let's call it right so it's got the feta taste but not as not as wild not as gamey just like eating deer meat versus beef or whatever right so my mom we're starting to sell this stuff and Somebody comes in and goes, oh, I don't eat that. I eat Italian because it's got this creamy, beautiful dressing. And so she sends me out and says, go buy a salad. 
So going buy a salad or bring in, it's got this creamy looking white Italian dressing, which Italian's not supposed to be creamy really before back in the day. It was like an oil and vinegar kind of thing, right? She goes, oh, she goes, I can do that. She grabs a bucket of mayo. <laughs> she grabs their green. <laughs> he whirls, swirls it all up. We put it out. People are falling in love with it because it was a bit sweeter or whatever it was than the typical. It takes that sharpness off of the vinegar, I guess, having that fat in there. Oh, my God. So we develop a Greek, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, creamy Greek dressing. We don't call it that. We just call it Greek dressing. The diehards hate it because if you go to Greece, you're not going to see that. This is fusion. See, the thing being Greek company in Italian, we, in Italian food business in Canada, it's quite a fusion because of local availability of products, first of all. And our palates are different here, right? So it's, uh, it's, um, it's been quite evolution. It's 50 years of kind of changing to the market, which I see it's always changes a little bit because the younger generations are more experimental is not the right word. They're more um, exposed to things, right? Mm-hmm. They're not, they eat all kinds of stuff. So we're like boring to them, our old menu, let's call it. But either way, the salads started selling and all of a sudden we have these things that are just phenomenal. You know, our, our meat sauce is different than everybody else's. Again, there's the Greek tint in there that changes a bit. I guess that's the main thing. And another thing that made our pizza so great, if we're going to talk about the actual pizzas, if you're asking me why our pizza is so good, we don't use a pan, number one. So our pizza is not greasy. In most of the pizzas that, um, you know, you can use Pizza Hut as an example. When the, you would eat their pizza the next day out of the fridge, if you pick it up, your fingers are just covered in oil. That thing's like a sponge, like that, that crust, right? Because it, they have to oil their pans to get the dough out, right? So that's step number one. We don't do that. So we're no different than Hazal pizza or whatever. We don't cook on a stone anymore, but we're cooking the same way where we cook directly on heat. We're not putting any oil in the product, right? So, so we have a dry crust, much healthier. We've got nothing bad in our, in our crust. All our toppings are real, meaning we don't buy any of that beef topping and stuff. Yeah, we got crust like salami and pepperoni. I mean, those are what they are. They got sulfates. They're not good for you. But people love them. They're still the number one sellers. But we do have healthy stuff because we have every kind of vegetable. Well, not every, but we got all kinds of choices from healthy. We got chicken. We got stuff that you can do well. But getting back to the main pizzas, the, dry, the, the crust is bread that's beautiful. It's like a sourdough, I'd call it. It's not really a sourdough, but it's kind of along those lines uh, where it's got a nice sort of um, taste to it and it is dry to the touch. That's huge as far as I'm concerned. All the toppings are under the cheese Except now we put the bacon on top. I lost that battle at one of our meetings. I don't like anything on top of the cheese for two reasons. When you bite a um, piece of pizza, as your teeth sink into the pizza, that velvety cheese hits the roof of your mouth. There's nothing equal to that. It's having a donut, like a chocolate eclair or something, getting the top of your mouth. It's the same. So having a bunch of dry, crispy toppings, yeah, okay, maybe you're in the mood for that, but my roof, my mouth, I don't want to, I want that I got crispy crunch or whatever in the morning, I want to rip my mouth apart, that's fine. But for us, it was about velvety top, toppings in the middle, and a beautiful crust, right? So you got, it's like a reverse, the grease is on top, the crust is on the top, just like a donut, if you have a chocolate dip or whatever, right? And I always thought of that as a kid growing up, I loved eating donuts, believe it or not. So I would say our pizza is maybe a little sweeter than most. And it's got the cream, the, 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 the stuff, not cream's the wrong word. The decadence is on the top. The bottom is dried at a touch. So the pieces stand firm. In other words, you know, they're not flipping over like a wet rag kind of thing. And I guess that is what made us popular. A lot of restaurants will totally bury the cheese because they don't want to give you a lot of cheese. Cheese is the most expensive thing. So if they throw toppings on top, they don't have to give you a fair amount of cheese, right? You don't know because all you see is the, they fill the holes with pieces of pepperoni or whatever, right? But we can't do that. The cheese is on top. It's got to have a full blanket of cheese, basically. And that's, I think, what made us so successful. We just don't rip people off. And pizza is really healthy. And the recipe is phenomenal. I'm assuming 
my children, if they keep doing the job right, and my husband's children, we just created an income for them. They all have a business that they can always do, you know. COVID and these things can't stop us. Like, it's amazing how, how bad people want our product. It's pretty cool. Okay, Greg, you said your parents were not pleased with you and your sister returning to the restaurant industry. But what's the worst that could happen? I'll tell you what the worst was. They wouldn't let me do anything because my dad was like scared because he had no income coming and the store could barely pay its bills. Like in the summers, there was no patios, right? And oh, I'm going to answer that question about why the patio in a minute. But um, because there was no income in the summer, everybody would take off. Uh, they had to sort of struggle and owe money and then come fall when they start making money again. They'd pay off their debts, but then come January, everybody's broke. Back in the day, remember Auto Pack? It would all be on the same. in, in oh, um, One big chunk. Yeah, so everybody was broke again, and then they'd go through these cycles. It was tough. So they said to me, don't come back. We don't got money for you to make a wage. And I, I so anytime I did try to do things, like I remember trying to, whatever, the, I can't remember the exact things I did, but as I tried to change things in the system, my dad would fight with me because he was worried about, I'm going to make the place go bankrupt. Oh. Well, eventually, saw some things worked. He started giving me a little bit more room, right? A little more rope. And I showed him that some of the things I did were really good. And all of a sudden, you know, we started paying our bills. Okay, so let's talk about how your patios came to be. You started off on the ground, and then how did the upper one get built? But that patio, so, so listen to this story. This is actually more true, crazy Winnipeg story. Um, so we're from Greece. Patios are everywhere, right? Cover because it's hot. Like, you go anywhere in Europe like that, like, they've got people eat outside a lot, right? So I remember it's about the 70s. That restaurant that we work out of St. Mary's had a massive canopy. It used to be one of the largest uh, Imperial Oils coming off the bridge there, Esso's, whatever. So it had like, I think, um, six days, like six places you can get fuel, like strip, like co-ops today. You know how they're really big? Yep. So I had massive canopy. And every time we, would, our, we had an old building, old gas station, and the air conditioner that we had in there would break down and have to go on the roof. Well, I'd stand on that roof out by St. Mary's Road almost because that's how far out that thing would go. And I would watch the cars go by. And it was amazing, right, watching from that angle just how neat it was, how open that corner is because there's no buildings across. There's a mall that's pushed back. There's whatever, right? It's kind of open, right? It's yeah, it's wide open, yeah. It. It's nice. It's nice, right? And then what happens is uh, every time fireworks would come, me and my friends and family would climb on our roof to watch them because there's a mayhem down below, like on the street. If you tried to watch fireworks from our bridge there, it's crazy, right? When Canada Day. So we'd climb up on the roof and we'd watch. And we'd say, oh, would this ever be a cool place to have a patio? But in the 70s, when my mom wanted to do a patio and they have plans, they were going to have two big staircases at the end of the old sort of um, uh, canopy. And they were going to have umbrellas and all that up there. So they would have been the first... Uh, or if not the first, damn close. Osborne Village, I think, had one patio at that time. People talked us out of it. They said, no, 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 Winnipeg season's too short. You're not going to make any money. There's mosquitoes, all the stuff that's true. And nobody else had a patio for a reason. There was none in Winnipeg, right? Osborne Village just started putting in those sort of half-covered ones, like, you know, toad in the hole, how they kind of have a roof on it, but it's still a patio, like it's tucked into the building. So Corden then started right behind that. We had nixed our... We'd done the plans, but we never built it. They were going to cut a hole that goes right down the restaurant for a server station to come up and serve the food and whatever. But it was a tiny little place. They didn't do it. And I remember the years going by, and now everybody in Winnipeg was getting patios. And I'm sitting there going, we still should have one. 2000, I built a patio on the ground. I call it the garden terrace because I fill it with flower boxes. And it was bigger than our dining room. It was 80 seats in the summer. Our inside is only 55 seats. So in the summer, about 130 seats or so, we're booming. Every winter that comes along. People try to come because we build all these new customers, but they don't fit inside. Our place is cold. It was an old building. It was garbage, right? So that's why the new building got built. We, we basically were doing so well, but we needed a new facility. As we built the facility, another, it's just, I don't have a brain. I have fate, which is the weirdest thing. This thing called panhandlers developed around that time. So we started getting the first guy. There was one guy. 
would stand across the street on the bridge and bother people going into downtown in the mornings. And we wouldn't see him till the next day because he didn't care about people coming over the bridge. He'd go on the other side of the bridge before people split off. And he was the only one. And he was there for three, four years. Well, eventually there was two, eventually it was four. Now they start bugging the people on our so-called summer terrace, whatever you want to call it, for food. So I'm watching this. I'm going, oh, my God, there's these bums coming into St. Boniface. And they're bothering my customers. And I'm chasing them away with a stick basically half the time. I'm like, get away from here, right? <laughs> I'm physically fighting with half of them, and I don't want to. I'm not. I'm, not, I'm totally not a fighter in any way to keep them away from my customers. And of course, some customers don't want to see that. So I don't know what to do. So I decide, you know what? I was wanted on the roof. I'm not dealing with these bums. I like the view. We're building it on top. Everybody says to me, you can't. Like your restaurant's too big for that, and and it is. Like we have a lot of problems by being on the roof. It's a totally separate restaurant in the summers. Kitchen's still on the first floor, but bar facilities, everything's upstairs. And literally, it's 200 seats up there, right? So it's like its own nightmare. Imagine the kitchen. Yeah, how does your kitchen handle that? Like, you know what I mean? The changeover from summer, from winter well, to summer, well, and all of a sudden your restaurant size doubles. Right. So what people don't realize is half our sales are out the back door, right? So in the winter, we have 20, well, up to 25 drivers on a Friday of our own. So in the summer, that goes down to about 15. So that takeout business that is our customers now come to us instead of calling. Well, COVID's changed all that, obviously, right? But yep. I mean, pre-COVID. What happens is our takeout slows down. So in the in the winter, takeout price seventy percent, dining's thirty, and then come winter, it sort of flips where dining's takeout's forty. So oh. we manage it. It's a little busier inside. The dining's harder because it's more dinners and plating, whereas the takeout is uh, straight up um, mostly just pizzas and you know pastas and stuff that are easy. We don't have to make it fancy per se, right? But we're, st- we're we're really good at it. Like we're, and I'm not lying if I say like we are the number one food drop from Cisco. Besides institutional, meaning schools and hospitals, no one sells more food than we do at St. Mary's. Um, there's places that have more sales because they, like a steakhouse, would have a higher average, right? Let's say a keg, for example. You know, they, their their average is twice mine. As I'm selling a pizza, three people share it, right? Right. So they're eating for eight to ten bucks a head, whereas you go to the keg, you're probably twenty five bucks a head or more. So they might have a higher sale some stores, but no one moves the food like we do. We 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 are that powerful, like it's mind boggling, actually. You know. Um, it's really fun, actually. Trucks come three times a week. We don't have enough refrigeration in our store, even though it's been built massive to handle all this stuff. We just keep getting busier and busier. Most people still, older generations especially, and the young ones with the drive throughs they don't like uh, delivery. They were more into go get their own food, right? Kind right. of thing. Mm-hmm. So this has now changed huge. Uh, the whole concept of, oh, food isn't that. Yeah, is it better in the restaurant? Absolutely. You come sit down, eat it fresh out of the oven. Of course, it's going to be better, right? We do it pretty good. Pizza travels well. Pastas travel well. Our food is good. It's not like we're sell- selling you some kind of – a lot of restaurants that are trying to do delivery, their food just doesn't travel well, right? Yeah, and pizza is made, made for it. Yeah, and same with our chicken and stuff like that. Like KFC survives on that, right? So, I mean, we are fortunate that we have a menu. So, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is we're getting exposed to so many new people that never would have tried our food because they have no other options, not because of we're so great with our marketing. They heard great things about us, but now I've had a whole bunch of people that I've never had. And we know from our systems how many new people come in, or they might have changed their phone numbers, but our stuff's all based on phone numbers, right? We see how it's changed. And it's, uh, I, I don't get me wrong, I don't want anybody to lose their business. I believe the sun comes up for everybody. I don't need my competitors gone. I do very well with all the competition around. I got no issue with that. I believe karma is a wonderful thing. Right now we're down, like my store, because dining's down. So we lost the dining, especially in the summers. But overall, we're probably sitting at about 70% of our sales. Let's say, you know, uh, the takeout stores are up 10, 20%. So any diamond stores down, the takeout stores are up. So I think we'll be fine coming through this. I, I, first, we're all panicked like everybody. 
and people that have no choice, right? The guy that used to go to the keg would never, ever order pizza or something from us. Like, a, they can order nicer meals. We cut out half our nice meals, by the way, because they don't travel well. So we really downsized our menu from what we have from when we're dining. I think that unlike debit and online sales, you're ahead of the curve once this pandemic set in. Because, you're, like you said, your delivery model was so good that it actually was a huge advantage to you. Absolutely. And I also think that if, if you weren't like, okay, you said that you kind of uh, – you talked yourself out of a job, but but I don't think, you know, that things would have evolved for you as they have if you weren't out of the business, not doing the actual work and step back and actually, you know, work towards the whole company moving forward as a whole with the marketing. And I know you wear seven hats now, you're doing a million different jobs, but someone had to do that job in order for things to go forward as a whole for Santa Lucia, don't you think? Absolutely. Without it, like we wouldn't have been where we are. And, you know, I credit uh, because of me having that time, I got to learn everything from radio to TV to whatever it is. And I got to play with some really good people over the years, you know, Baba being one of them, but it doesn't matter who Joe with me, our commercials, his voice becoming our, it's all about the sauce like that. That was just, I made him, you gotta laugh at this. He got so mad at me, but he, okay. So I don't know Joe, right? They, I went to 92 city FM back then and has convinced me we did some little samples. And he says, he came to me one night and he says to me, Greg, what's the difference says, I want you to be successful. This is going back like 20 years ago. It was Tony Sacucci's his name. And Tony says to me, what's the difference in your pizza? He says, I know you got better quality and this and that, like everybody said, but what's the actual difference? So we broke it down. And I said, well, here's the thing. Our dough is made like this. Our cheese is, I tell him about the cheese. I tell him about the meats. I tell him about everything, right? The sauce. So he says, okay, we're going to make commercials based on each thing to educate the people, right? So the first thing we do is the sauce. So I go to the 92 CFM and I don't want to be in the commercial because I'm always hiding. I was like, no, no, you guys are going to do it. I don't want to be in. You don't want to hear me. It's not about Greg. It's about the company. So Joe, they get because he's Italian. He does all kinds of sounds. He goes, it's all about the sauce or whatever he said. I said, no, man. I said, and he doesn't know me from home ground. I go, that doesn't sound Italian. I said, like, make it sound more Italian, right? I made him do it over and over and over. So anyways, <laughs> it's a success. At about two years later, we're at a function. I know Joe now because like we golf together. We're doing stuff. And then. And he's telling the story to someone else. And I didn't know this till that, till two years later because he said this behind my back against a lot of people, but not to me. So he's telling the story like, like I'm telling you, he goes, he, he makes me do an Italian accent over. I'm the Italian, he says, and he's telling me it's not Italian. He goes, I was so upset. He goes, I'm telling, so I'm doing this like really crazy. And I'm like, and he's telling me it doesn't sound Italian. The other guy started laughing. I was like, what? Like he was a little upset, right? But he was such a nice man. He just did it. Like it's his job, right? So we laugh about that to this day. And he's, I made him do it over. I made him sound more immigrant. I wanted him more like my uncles and they. <laughs> They couldn't speak English with beans, and Joe's family was the same. Um, I've worked with my siblings, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good, but we all have a valuable contribution to make. So let's talk about the relationship you have with her and what her main role is at your St. Mary's location. Well, I think my sister being older than me by three years has always been kind of my, uh, always set me in the right direction. I remember a lot of times I would do things that maybe, you know, we're starting the business and scrounging to do whatever we can. She'd always come and say, no, that's not good from the customer's point of view. We need to make sure that, so I'm thinking from the money point of view sometimes, right? And she's like, no, no, we got to make sure that we're a little more respectful. She was always there to make sure that things were done right. When she came back, she had a better eye than I do for customer service, let's say. It wasn't my strength. <laughs> I was the guy in the back who was trying to make the systems better, to make sure the food was better, to make sure that everybody got a great product, right? That was kind of my thing. And um, if some people complained along the way, well, you know what? We, I didn't know what to do. I couldn't stop for every single person. Whereas my sister was more compassionate and wanted to make sure that everybody that came to our place had a great experience. Or she tried to make sure. I mean, it's impossible to make everybody happy. But she was more 
in charge of that front end, let's call it. So she was huge in helping the restaurant grow, you know, from uh, not just the people, but even like just the colors of the place and stuff. I mean, maybe it's a female thing. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this in this day and age that men aren't as good as women. But at the end of the day, she was better at picking stuff and making the place more inviting to everybody. So she had a huge role in that. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Keeping her younger brother in line when he was shooting off at a salesperson or something, trying to sell us something, I'd be angry. She'd have to come along and they'll pull me aside and give me a smack or whatever it took to calm me down sometimes. So, I mean, that's, that's what it is. It's like we've been together all our lives, the two of us, and uh, I can't imagine we'd be where we are without her. But um, it's not just her. It's my whole family, you know, like all my uncles and everybody. We used to eat together as a huge family. And every single weekend before the restaurants, we'd be together, whoever there was. And even when the restaurants came, you know, we'd still try to get together. And food was always very important in the family structure. But uh, as things got busier and busier, we kind of stopped seeing our family, friends, and uh, most of our relatives on a regular basis because we were working on the weekends, right? And all of a sudden, before you know it, we have these different families on each end of the city all doing the proper thing, pushing San Lucia pizza as a rah, rah, you know, let's go, like trying to tell our story at every end of Winnipeg. I think um, we're very fortunate to be where we are because of a lot of people have done a lot of work. You know, there's been so many relationships and friendships with different people and customers of Winnipeg. I call them friends, actually, a lot of them, because when you're that many years at a place watching people come and go from employees to, you know, even salespeople that we've had over the decades, it's quite amazing and humbling, actually, that we can be here today and have made our own sort of path in life where, like I said earlier, you know, the next generations, if we play, if they play their cards right, we'll have an industry that you know, they, they can basically, they, they create their own employment. Like they make sure that they have a chance for their kids themselves to keep going forward. And I don't think that's being cocky. I think that's just hard work and uh, having a good product that ends up um, putting us where we are. Your your business is, is a family chain. You know what I mean? You're, all your family is contributing to the success of your chain of restaurants. But as much as you guys are working on things together, you have separate stores, like you said. So you're all working, doing your own thing. So as much as the restaurant brings you together do you find maybe it makes you it brings you apart too because you're all working in different in separate silos at different locations definitely it definitely took us apart in a lot of ways like sure we're a tight family and all that but the tightness when you don't see everybody every day and you know someone across town did something that i don't think was right but i don't really know what happened so i just get judgmental without really getting a chance to uh you know find out from a cousin or somebody what's going on and so you know then you get wives and the wives of course always take the husband's side right or wrong whatever they're doing what they're supposed to do in their life i guess and uh, we get all these little bickerings going on in a big family business right and i think anybody who's a family business will understand that you get in a situation where do you make your wife happy or do you make your cousin your partners happy right. whatever right it, it's funny actually i, I mean it, it, it's great and we all get along great and we, i mean there's so much family in this business it's it's insane like how many of our actual bloodline and married and people work in it it, it, it like wow you know like like i was telling you before there's a just one store alone, like there's a hundred over a hundred employees, right? So you start thinking about it. How many family members can you employ? Everybody, when they get laid off, comes to you and says, Hey man, can I work on the weekend? Of course, it's not what they want to do full time because the pay is not as good as whatever they were doing before. But we have a lot of people coming through our doors and I wouldn't change that for the world. I may not like being in the spotlight as we talked about between you and I, we talked about this before, but I sure like seeing people coming and going and enjoying our food coming in the restaurant i've been very fortunate and had a lot of people that came my way and made this company successful and a lot of families worked hard over the years you know we have cousins like my uncle archie and his wife helen 
Ours is no longer with us, but uh, they were working their hardest to work on the north end to keep that side going. And the kids are still successful to this day. Some of their kids took off to America, up in Salchia, down in America. Uh, they didn't want to be here trying to run away from the cold. I don't blame them. <laughs> so obviously, if I could, I'd get away too. But uh, we had uh, Gus and Anna, you know, another uh, couple of my my uncle and my auntie. They were basically working the south end of the city for uh, decades. And uh, their kids are now more or less doing their thing and um, still sound Shia. It just seems to everybody's found a place to sort of, it may have changed a bit where we work out of. But we're still doing the same thing, feeding Winnipeggers. And uh, the, the the original founder, you know, uh, they're both gone, him and his wife, George and Sylvia. But we were fortunate that he was in those mines and he decided to take over this pizzeria. And today, I mean, we have stores in Saskatoon. I think I think we're about, I'm going to guess here, I, th- I should know this, but I think we're 13 stores. We're opening up in Sage Creek, so that's why it might be 13 or 14. Uh, anyways, we're about 13 stores. And... Um, what it seems to be is uh, every time we have some kids that don't want to go to school in our family, we got to open a store. You know, we got to give this guy <laughs> got to give this guy a job. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of that, and they're making babies. Oh, I'm a, I'm a grandfather as of just a couple of weeks ago. So oh, hey, congratulations. First, yeah. So now that the first thing goes through my head is, damn, I got to open another store. This kid's probably not going to go to school. Like, and it's not because we're dumb. It's they love the business. Once you get into this as a child and you grow up around all these people, I don't know if COVID's going to change this for us in the future, but. Being around hospitality all day long, if you get it in your blood, it's hard to take out. Mm-hmm. We we are people people, right? We all are. But you're thrown into it like crazy when you're doing this for a living, as you, as anybody in the restaurant business knows. So I think a lot of the kids, it's not that they don't want to go to school. And we try to encourage everybody to get a career because you never know. This could all collapse tomorrow, right? Businesses have ups and downs. And who knows if we're here in a, in a decade or not. But the kids seem to, no matter what, where they go to school or whatever they do, they seem to always come back. And it's the weirdest thing. And I think it's it's in our blood, right? It's like we like that big round table of all the people around. And in this case, it's actually our income. It's our living to boot, right? Making people happy. They're making us happy. And I, on, on that note, I want to say something, though. I want to thank Winnipeggers because if you really think about it, we had a lot of ups and downs and we've done a lot of stuff and a lot of years have gone by. And if it wasn't for the people supporting us, we wouldn't be where we are today. And we're very fortunate to be where we are. And this COVID world makes us see just how fragile things are, you know. And we, we, we're fortunate enough, I'd say about 10 years ago, we got to a point where, you know, we, we're not like super successful, like millionaires or anything, but we started making a little more than we needed, let's say, for our household. And we started giving back as a company. So we joined up with a couple of radio stations. I mean, um, uh, obviously, the Chorus Group, the CGOB station, you know, uh, we have a pizza called the Hal and Joe. And uh, I had that last night. Did you? How would you think? It's awesome. It's really good. Well, well, I'm glad. So from these pizzas, like some of the money goes to charities. And with the radio stations, we got another pizza with 92 City, like Rogers. Same idea, you know, Raising Dough, we call that one. And uh, these pizzas, what we do year round is we collect money and we get some substantial funds to give to some charities. And, you know, it's hard to pick one always because we have our own from family tragedies that we take care of, obviously, on our own. But now we have this sort of stream of where... We have excess funds that we try to pick a charity every year, two charities, one for each station, let's say. And it's been really nice being able to give back because now it feels like a full circle, right? Like we basically were supported by the Winnipeggers for so long and raised our families. And, you know, my family raised me and so on. Now my kids, now my grandchild, like all these people down the road that we have to keep this community going. So it's like we're part of it, you know, and and it's, it's wonderful to do it. And the smiles on people's faces when we help that are in need and just the wonderful people we meet that run these charities and stuff. It's insane. And it just keeps growing because of this. And it wasn't the intent. It wasn't the intent to 
help people to get more business. The idea was to help people in need, right? And it's it's hard because there's so many people. And like I said, we're not billionaires or millionaires. We're not even close to that. But we can afford to give back some money to the community. And I wish we could do more. And, and that's kind of what we're trying to do. We're trying to, as our families grow and our things are more stable, we're trying to be part of Winnipeg. And I mean, we started here. And no matter where we grow to, if my kids manage and they're smart enough and my cousin's kids, there might be someone that's super smart in this company, who knows, and they grow into a big company like you see the big nationals. But our roots are still Winnipeg. And I really believe that we got to do what we got to do to make Winnipeg a better place. So, Kevin, I want to thank you for this opportunity. I mean, uh, it's been wonderful. We told the story in, uh, well, not so much a nutshell, but we told the story. I don't know what we missed. We missed lots, I'm sure. A lot of cousins and family will be upset. But uh, I just want to thank you personally for giving me this opportunity to tell the San Lucia slash Simeonidis story of what we, how, what and how we got in Canada and what we really love doing. So, again, thank you from, from me and all my family. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much, Kevin. Thanks, Greg, from Santa Lucia Pizza for sharing your family story with us over the past two days. It's much appreciated. This is 680 CJOB.